Boy, I feel so good to have that light come on. Wakes me up. I wish all of you could have the same. <laughs> Something to help us to see again. Dan, thank you so much. Where'd you go, Dan? Oh, he was here for the early service. In case he skips out, he's, it's okay. Uh, I couldn't remember his name at the first service, and I asked him if he'd wear a name tag, so I gave him mine. <laughs> at least he'd have a name, you know. My name is Johan Hinderly, and uh, I am privileged to be here to preach for you today. I don't preach to you, I preach for you, so you can hear the message that you need to hear that is from God, a word for your life, a word for your soul. And I've been here a few other times, uh, back when you were a different church, called by a different name. Some of the sinners haven't changed, but you changed your name. <laughs> I know that. I was talking to them earlier. One woman had been here, she, couldn't, she thought 90 years, but I think she was wrong by at least one year. Uh, in any case, uh, it's, uh, it's a privilege to come. I've, I've been here for a uh, Curcio weekend. I've been here for uh, Walk Through the Bible. I did that for the church once. I've done Martin Luther and Katie Von Bora here. So we've had some fun things here. It's the first time I've had a chance to preach here. But your, your pastor, uh, pastor's wife, Vida Magnuson, her sister was a very close friend of mine, Ingrid Trobish. And they were Holtz uh, when, they, when they were younger, of course. And Ingrid helped my wife and me experience what it is to be a community of grace in our marriage. And it was a community that saved me from myself and saved us for life that we really needed. And, and so there is in this understanding of this word community of grace a tremendous meaning of significance for all of us in different areas of our life. And that's what I want to help us understand today is what does it mean to live under a community grace compared to what the world lives under, and what do we need from God to live in that community? So let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you that you have appointed us for a purpose to do something we couldn't do with our own power, to love our neighbors, especially our spouses, and maybe even our kids. I mean, there's neighbors we just don't even hardly want to see sometimes, and you say, no, love them, and we don't have the power and you give us the power, and out of that power today, Lord, we need again to be renewed so we can do the things that you know we want to do and are called to do, but sometimes just, just don't have the energy for. So uh, be reborn in us again today, we pray, by the power of your Holy Spirit. May Jesus, our brother, give us what we need to do what you have called us to do. For his name's sake, amen. So I had many experiences with grace in my life. My, my dad was a sinner. My mom was a sinner. They, they thought they could get away with fooling us. But as we grew older, we, we caught them, you know, uh, in all kinds of ways. And we had to learn to forgive them. And it was very difficult. They were Norwegians. It's very difficult for them <laughs> to believe they need forgiveness. I know some of you Swedes are happy to hear that. Uh, <laughs> But uh, just so you know, uh, they, they, there's all kinds of sinners in the Northern Hemisphere, and a lot of them migrated here because they wanted to get away from their family reputations, and then the rest of the family came, and that screwed up that plan. Uh, so uh, sinfulness, it runs in the family, right? I mean, you guys are the family of God, and you're all characterized by that little element of needing somebody to, you know, help you see what you really like. Now, God didn't just give me a uh, mother and a father, as soon as he gave me two older sisters. And so what my mom and dad couldn't do, they tried to fulfill. So most of my screwed upness, I blame on them. Mel, my friend here who knows I'm a sinner, he said, don't screw up. I said, talk to my sisters. 
If they didn't fix me, no one can. And, but this is kind of the characteristic of the home, isn't it? We always want to look good, right? And when we fall short of looking good, we can either kick our family members out, which of course we do sometimes, unfortunately, or we can forgive them. And we can say, hey, you're, you're just like me. I remember a wonderful story about a man whose son had sassed his mother. And his mother said to him, when your father gets home, you're going to get it. And so when the dad came home and he heard what the boy had done, he was really upset. He said, oh, man. Let's go into the bathroom. He took off his belt and he said, you're going to get the licking of your life. But you got to tell me, first of all, boy, what made you sass your mom like that? He looked up at his dad, kind of shaking. He says, I don't know, Dad. Chip off the old block. <laughs> so, so here's what he did. I mean, this is a true story, but this is in Texas, so you don't, you don't know these people. It's a true story. So he said, I told your mom you were going to get the licking of your life, so I'm going to beat the heck out of the bath area, and you scream bloody murder. <laughs> I mean, he couldn't beat him. He knew he was just like him, right? See, and, and that's why some of us hate grace because it takes away our power to manipulate it really does and that's why a community of grace is so important in a world that is under the law when i was in college i experienced that legalism of a community where everyone was trying to outperform each other outcool each other it happens in high school i know too uh, some of you have been to high school or junior high you know and junior high oh man you talk about Intercessor, I talked to Joy about her prayer ministry. Got to pray for these kids in junior high. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, I know some of you were queen bees. You know, that's the girl who runs everything. But if you're not one of those, man, you just never measure up. And you never know if you're good enough or whatever. But it's that notion of not being good enough that is within the spirit of so many people who are your neighbors today. They don't know if they're good enough. And the reason they don't come to church for help is they look at you and they say, oh, you're just a goody-goody. And you know you're not. But they can't believe that they can ever be good enough to be a part of a community of grace. And you say, hey, good, guess what? It's for bad people. That's what we are, bad people. I was t we just called a new pastor to our church. And I was telling the call committee, I said, you know, our current pastor has never been good enough. In fact, he's so bad that all of us get along with him really well. So make sure you call a pastor who's bad enough to need the gospel. Because if he doesn't need the gospel, where am I going to go? i got to go somewhere, because I'm, I'm one of these starving children who needs to hear the good news. And, and Dan, you did a great job of reading that. Again, thanks so much. You do wonderful there. Uh, it's almost as good as your singing. I can't tell for sure, because I've only heard you read a couple times. But just to hear that word that says, we're all like this. We're all grumblers. We're all part of that parable. We all know what it's like to be in that worldview. And, and that's why we need people and places within this community who help us remember the truth about ourselves. And that's what a community grace does. It helps people see themselves as they are, but not as they have to be. So we see ourselves as God sees us, and that gives us hope. So today, we had this reading from two different passages. The first one was from Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. I love that. This is a problem church. That's why Paul had to write them so often. But they got into the Bible. Hey, there's something about that. Anyway, problem people. That's what the Bible's about. That's what the letters are about. And they needed help. And Paul is describing his own selection to the community of grace. And what does he say about himself? 
I was least of all. In fact, I was the last as to one who wasn't born in a timely way, abnormally born, the text said. And, and Paul says about himself, this doesn't mean anything because it's by the grace of God I am what I am, not by virtue of what I might have been before, but by his power in me. And interesting, isn't it, that in the parable, who are the people that the workers who've been members of this church since before Pastor Magnuson came are upset with? They're upset with you and me, freeloaders who came in at the last minute, and we're going to get saved just like them. It's not quite fair. I've been coming to church, and I've talked to some of the ladies this morning. They didn't even have snow days when they were kids. <laughs> so, I mean, that's the world that we're living in right here in the church. That's why grumbling is such a natural part of our life. And I love it that grumblers gather here at community of grace, because we need to know we are grumblers. It's like Dan says, we've been all like that once. I said, Dan, you don't know me. That's how I am. I are one, you know. It's just the characteristic in us. We are grumblers. When somebody else gets something we think we deserve, that makes us unhappy. And that's why Paul is such a good witness to us. And Paul illustrates the importance of living under grace in a couple different ways. Uh, you remember the story in Galatia. Paul goes up to the Galatians and here's the problem, is the church in Galatia had experienced grace, they lived under grace, but now they had fallen under the law. <clears throat> and Peter was there, and Peter came up to Galatia, and he was eating food with them, and it was just great old seafood. I mean, I know most of us here like shrimp cocktails, right? You know, eat the little shrimp, dip it in the sauce. You really don't like the shrimp, you just like the sauce. I know how that goes. I mean, how many of you really know what a real shrimp tastes like? Everything you eat is frozen. It's not shrimp. It's something else. And they just color it and put it in a little pail on it, call it a shrimp. Some of you don't know the difference. But it's not true in Galatia. They knew shrimp there. And Peter, who had seen the you know, blanket come down from heaven three times and said, God said, kill and eat. He was in Galatia. He's eating this shrimp. He's loving it. And then the big shots from Jerusalem show up. Those are the guys that wear ties when they come to church. I see most of you aren't in that group. So they come to church and they because they want to look ready for God. Like Jesus ever wore a tie? I never see a picture. Could you have a picture with Jesus in a tie sometime? And then we'd have someone we can look up to. Anyway, so these, these guys come up from Jerusalem, big shots, and they make trouble for Peter. And Peter, he should have just said, you know what? You're wrong. Jesus saved me for this kind of food. But you got to understand, a Jewish understanding of shrimp is not the same as yours. Let's just assume you have a friend who lives in Wisconsin. I, I don't want to pick on you at all, but there are people over there that are pretty nice. And <laughs> let's say you have a friend who wants to invite you out to their cabin, right? And this is why you never want to go. And then while you're there, they're going to feed you some special Wisconsin food. And you think, well, they, I mean, they seem pretty nice people. I work with them, and they seem pretty good. And then they pull out this little thing that has been deep fried, and it has a long tail and four legs and little ears. And you say to them, that looks like a mouse. <laughs> they say, yeah, but dip it in some of this shrimp sauce, and it tastes delicious. <laughs> mm, great. Uh, that's how the Jews felt. If you felt upset to your stomach and you saw me eating a fake mouse, that's how the Jews felt when... They saw someone eating shrimp. So that's just how visceral the reaction was. And that's the nature of it. That's why they said, we can't eat this. You shouldn't be eating this. And Paul had to come 
and help the church come back under the grace of God. And, and, and this happened also in the time of the Reformation, 1517. It wasn't about eating the wrong food, but the church had made the way of salvation a, a process of steps that you had to fulfill. And Martin Luther tried to be a good man, and he was never good enough. And it drove him nuts. Actually, it didn't drive him nuts. It drove him to the cross. He says, Jesus, I can't do it. And Jesus says, about time, Marty. <laughs> Been waiting for you to tell me that because you're not supposed to know how to do it. You know, it's like when Ole went to heaven. I got to throw in a few of these because I know some of you, if you don't get enough Norwegian jokes, you haven't been to church. Uh, so Ole goes to heaven, and he gets to heaven, and St. Peter's there, and he says, what's the password? He says, oh, I don't know, Mart uh, Martin Luther? No. Uh, uh, the Trinity? No. I'm trying to think of the catechism. I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ. For no, no. And he says, oh, I don't know. I don't know. What is that? He says, he, and Ole finally says, oh, I just give up. And Peter says, that's it. You're in. <laughs> when you can't do it, that's when you know you live by grace. When it's nothing of your own strength, that's when you're in. And that's what Martin Luther learned the hard way by being a monk. And then he wanted that message to get heard throughout the land. But the problem is, again, the church could manipulate people because they had the law. They didn't have grace. They just had the law. And they were manipulating people by the law to do what they thought would help them. And basically what they wanted to do was build their church in Rome. And so that was... The problem in those days. The problem in our time isn't any different. We again have churches that are under the law. They call it grace. They call it being kind. They call it being tolerant. They, but it's the law. Because you're always expected to do it on your own strength. You could be nicer if you just came to church more often. Or maybe if you attended our Bible study. And it's like, oh, okay, I'll do it. But it doesn't do you any good. And you finally quit trying. You give up and you never go to church again. And I think you should put outside their community grace. This is a place for people who are broken by the church. People who have found the church has failed them everywhere. We won't fail you here because we're just as bad as you are. And then they'll come in looking for bad people. And then got to put a name tag on and says, yep, that's me. Because that's what we are. We're people who are bad, who need God's grace. We talked to a friend of ours this past fall who's a pastor in Denmark. And she said in the Danish church, they can no longer use the word sin. Because in Denmark, they don't want people to feel badly about themselves. I mean, Really? I mean, how many of you would go to a dentist if the dentist didn't ever take an x-ray of your teeth? I mean, you'd, you'd want somebody to know what's going on beneath the surface, even if what the dentist tells you is, you got a cavity, and you need a crown, and some orthodontia work, and you say, Doc, that's a lot of stuff. He says, I know, but I got a kid in college. <laughs> that's, that's an inside joke. For those of you who have kids who are costing you a fortune. Anyway, see, you, you, you don't like the news, see? That's what the law is. The law is always bad news to us, and it shows us what we're not like. But it also gives an opportunity for us to see the good news of what God, who likes us, in spite of how bad we are. Uh, th this is why, you know, you remember the old movie that's not a movie, of course, with Tom Cruise, but when it was Mr. Phelps in the old days, he actually went to West High School, where I also went to school, and it was Mission Impossible. And they always said, you know, if you choose to accept this mission, and then they would say the secretary will deny it, whatever happens. Well, our mission is a little bit like that. And I got this help from some people at 1517. It's a ministry online where sinners run it, and you might as well learn about how sinners talk, because that's what you are, and you can listen to them. But 1517.org, and they said, what we need in the church are spiritual hitmen. 
hitmen who go out and kill people with the law. So the law actually puts people to death. Like the song we just sang says, you know, it was because when I died that I had a chance to be risen again, right? It's not as long as I think I can get by. It's when I die that Christ has to give me new life. And that's what you need. You need to be a spiritual hitman who shows people how far short they fall. And then you're a spiritual midwife, the spiritual midwife who makes the new birth happen. That's your calling. That's our calling as a community of grace, to go out into the world and help people to see they aren't as good as they think they are. They don't have to be. They can join us and discover a God whose goodness covers all our badness. And we can really be free. Because if you're hanging on to yourself, you're not free for your neighbor. And all you're doing is putting up with them instead of actually loving them. Jesus says it this way in the Gospel of John. He says, the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. That's how John describes it. The law. It really means uh, trying to be something you're not. Trying to be good. The people under the law are always experts in right and wrong. They're like Pharisees. They always know the right thing to do. And, and people under the law always know when their rights have been offended. That's why in this little story they were grumbling. And I love the fact, I love the fact that I have five grandchildren whom I am watching right now with my wife. Actually, he watches them more than I do. Uh, whenever they're in trouble, I say they're your grandchildren, not mine. Um, <laughs> So a couple of, a year ago, you know, we had this awful massacre in Florida on Valentine's Day. And it is something that was caused by a person who is under the law. You cannot kill people when you're under grace. When you're under the law, you're not enough. Others aren't enough. They don't deserve to live. Neither do you. And so the hostility is there. The only people that can save this society are people who live under grace. That's you. And, 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 but you have to do it, first of all, in your home, where you experience it. So that's where I'm living now with five grandchildren. And on Thursday, Thursday, the, uh, the Valentine fairy, I call her uh, Candy Claus. She is Santa Claus's cousin. She came and brought candy, way more candy than the kids needed. And they were collecting their goods, and they were comparing what they'd gotten here and there. And the youngest one, who didn't get anything, she's sort of like the vacuum cleaner. She's only a year and a half years old. And she was going around the room, picking things up and putting them in her mouth. <laughs> like this, you know, she could hardly talk. Mouth was so full. And then she did the wrong thing. She found some candy that belonged to her brother, who's three. Her brother's three. And her brother saw her get her candy, and he went over and grabbed her and was angry and crying at her. And now... This one-and-a-half-year-old realizes she's in trouble. She's, she's got fear and she's got guilt. Now, some of you I know believe in the age of discernment. Come over to my family sometime. I'll introduce you to five kids who aren't at the age of discernment, but they all know what sin is. So this little girl, it's one-and-a-half, she she's running across the room and dives into the corner and buries her head, expecting the wrath of her brother to descend upon her. She's just your average neighbor who's going to work, but she just happens to be a year-and-a-half years old. But she's afraid. And he's coming after her, and he's angry, and he's yelling. And he's about to hit her when, fortunately, her, his, older, his, his older sister intervenes and protects her sister from the wrath of her brother. But, but this is the nature of a home. This is how we are in a home, and we don't get along, and we are sinners, and we need forgiveness. And we also need older sisters to protect us from our brothers. <laughs> But that's the characteristic of the community under grace. It doesn't make us better. It just helps us to see where to go for hope and for help. 
And, and that's why this place is so important, for people to not pretend you're something you're not, but to admit you're sinners who need a Savior, who saves you with his blood, as Dan said again today, and that we are freed, freed from ourselves and from the illusions about ourselves so we can love people because we're not worried about needing enough love. We can give it away. But what's needed in order for you to get this? Um, my wife and I take a number of trips to Israel, and we love going there. It's a great place. And I also, because not everybody can go to Israel, I've done some uh, experiences with Walk Through the Bible. And one of the things we learn in Walk Through the Bible, in the Old Testament especially, is that there were a number of kings. And all the kings are measured by their heart, their relationship with God in their heart. And you'd be surprised how few of the kings in either the northern kingdom or the southern kingdom had a heart for God. It really turns out to be only eight. And, need, and none, in, none in the northern kingdom did. Only in Judah did eight have a heart for God. And so here's the problem is how do we get a heart for God? So I'm going to give you a little, a little game to play with me here that I've taught people. And basically, it's, you'll just learn about the three main kings, Saul, David, and Solomon. And you're going to need to make a crown and put it on your head, okay? Here we go. Just do that. There's nobody taking pictures of you. Just go ahead and do it. You're safe. Okay. And then when you, we, we put their crown on our head, we're going to say the name of the king. So we'll first say the first name. His name is Saul. Saul, good. And then we put our hand over our heart like this, like a circle like that, and with Saul, we're going to push it away, okay? And we say, no heart, because Saul had no heart for God. He was interested in himself. So we say, Saul, no heart. And then David. Now, David, we know, was a future pastor for your church. He was a jerk. He had problems, but he experienced forgiveness. <laughs> he experienced forgiveness. And so he had hope. And he shared hope. And uh, he was a musician too, Dan. If you get that pastor, you might be out of a job. But he played a harp or a lyre or something, you know. Anyway, uh, but David experienced forgiveness from God. And so we say, David, and put your hand over your heart, we say, whole heart, whole heart. So we've got Saul, no heart, David, whole heart. And then the third of the three is Solomon. And Solomon, as you know, was a very wise man. He had to be because he had 700 wives. <laughs> 700 wives. That's a lot of women around you. I mean, I can know, I, I've got one wife, you know, and I know, and I won't talk about that. But the fact <laughs> is, is that 700, 700. And there were a few others as well. We call them porcupines just to <laughs> make, you, make you interested in reading the Bible about them. Anyway, so he had a 1,000 ladies in waiting. That's a... That's a big, I mean, no matter had a big palace. Where they all stay? I've been over there. I don't even know where they all stayed. I'm going to have to ask our guide next time. Anyway, so we've got, we've got Solomon, and he had a half heart, half heart. And the reason he had a half heart was because he was always trying to please all these different women who came from lots of different religious backgrounds. So let's do all three together. We've got Saul, no heart, David, whole heart, Solomon, half heart, Bob, new heart. I know that joke means something to people age 65 and older. So some of you have to go to the joke recovery group and learn why that's sort of funny. Well, we need a new heart. 
That's what we need. We, we, the old heart won't do it. We need a new heart. And the new heart, thankfully, comes from our big brother, Jesus. When you were baptized, you became a member of God's family. And, and you belong to God. You may not feel good enough to belong, but God says, no, you're my son. You're my daughter. I love you. And then he gave us a big brother. And our big brother is the one we believe in. And, and believe in, the, in him says, thank you, Jesus, for making me a member of your family. And he says, and I'm going to give you my heart because we've got the same bloodline now. That's what you get in baptism, is a bloodline with Jesus, so you can receive his heart transplant for yourself, and you can give him your evil heart. You don't have to keep hanging on to that. Just give it to him, and he takes it from you. And then the third thing we get in the Trinity is the Holy Spirit, who creates behavior that are the fruits of the Spirit, right? The fruits of the Spirit, which interestingly enough, for those of you that are under the law and are always worried, but didn't Jesus say, love their Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself? Yes, he did say that. And sometime, look at the fruits of the Spirit. What do the first three fruits point to? Love, joy, peace. Our relationship with whom? God. And what do the last six point to? Relationship with our neighbors. So how is the greatest commandment fulfilled? Not by you trying harder, but by the Holy Spirit working in you with a new heart and the fruits of the Spirit. Am I right? Yeah. I wish my wife were here to hear that. Uh, but I, yeah, it is. That's what God says. We are right. We, this is the characteristic of us. We need him. And just so you can see how this works, I, I love how the Bible was designed for Norwegians because... Uh, it, there's some verses in the Bible that are so great, 24-7, some of you know what that means, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. There's lots of verses that are 24-7 verses, and this is one of them from Jeremiah. Jeremiah 24, verse 7 says this, I will give Johan a heart to know me, that I am the Lord, and that Johan will be my people, and I will be his God, for he will return to me with all his heart. 24-7, 24, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, there are people up there waiting to get their heart transplant to join this community of people who are in recovery from living under the law because you have a heart transplant from the Savior of the world. And you live differently now. You live without the confusion of wondering if you have salvation. You live without the confusion of wondering if you're good enough. You never are. But he is good enough to cover you, and you can rest in that. So that's why he says, come to me, all you that labor under the law and are heavy laden, and I'll give you my rest. Take my yoke upon you, my grace, my cross, and learn of me, and you'll have life. That's what the world around you needs, and that's why they need you as a community of grace to bring that message to them with your new heart and say to them, join us, join us, because we've got a Savior who has a heart for you. He has a heart for you. Let us pray. We thank you, Jesus, for giving to us what we could never expect to receive, your own heart. Help us to receive it so that we can go into the world as your community of grace, living under grace, being spiritual midwives as well as spiritual hitmen to bring death and life to people who think things are just okay. We want to bring them you so they can have life in all its fullness. In your name we pray, amen.
Now, one thing that we're going to do here is to help you to practice this ministry with others. And I like what Dan said. We practice here so we can do it other places. Uh, um, you mind coming up again, Dan? I, I realize you got a little baby there. I don't want to. But he, he, he went through the drill with me already, and I think it may be easier for him now. So what we want to do is to say um, to our neighbor, people who are sitting there, we want to we confess our sins. Because when you talk to people, often they'll be confessing their sins to you, and you don't know it, and then you need to absolve them. I, I, I moved to a diner. Some of you know where a diner is? It's the last stop before heaven. <laughs> and the, the reason we live there is because we get, we get to compare. Is it really as good as a diner? We send notes back to the Adinians. But <laughs> it's really not that. Edina, you know, has a funny name. It's E-D-I-N-A. And sometimes people say, every day I need affirmation or every day I need attention. Well, really, Edina means now, every day I need absolution. So I'm going to get a bumper sticker and say, Edina, a city for sinners. <laughs> I know, they're going to love it, aren't they? <laughs> I'm sure there's going to be some Edinians in my neighborhood that say, you know, we'd kind of like to buy your condominium. Move to White Bear Lake. <laughs> but every day I need absolution. So how do we give absolution? Well, we can use a simple way of confessing our sins that I've learned from another group of people. It says, just says, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Okay? Just try that with me. I was wrong. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. You, you, sometimes we just say, I'm sorry. And, and that means sometimes, well, I'm sorry you didn't understand. I was trying to help you. That's not really confession. Uh, so I was wrong, takes responsibility. I'm sorry, admits what you need, and then please forgive me. So we're going to confess to God, but I'm going to say it so Dan can hear me, and then he will absolve me, and then I want you to do this with the people sitting around you, okay? So I'll look at Dan, but I'm really, I haven't sinned against him. I, did, I think I did already once today. He doesn't know it yet, if he does. <laughs> anyway, so I, I'm just confessing to God, but he's listening. I was wrong. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And you can absolve me. In the name of Jesus Christ, I forgive you. Amen. Amen. And I'll see you in a bit, Dan. I was wrong. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. In, in the name of Jesus Christ, Dan, you are forgiven. I like yours better. You are forgiven. Then I forgive you. Yeah. You Please. know what? It really doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> I was wrong. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're forgiven. Hey, and you know what else? This is the other thing that happens when you're forgiven. You laugh like you're laughing because it really doesn't matter. We're free from ourselves. We can laugh. And that's why community grace has a better sense of humor. So your chance now is to just practice this forgiveness with people sitting near you. And we'll continue with some singing. Yeah. He really wants you to do this right now. Right? Yeah, that's